Today is one of the days where I have every intention of doing and saying everything I meant to do at exactly the right time, and it's just not happening. One of the things that I meant to announce as part of our celebration of Victor is that we have been collecting a love offering for Victor, and I know many of you have already contributed to that, and if you haven't yet had a chance to do that and would like to, you can still do that today or tomorrow or in the next few days. If you have an offering or a love gift today and you place it in the offering, that is absolutely fine. Uh, if you want to donate online, you can do that. Uh, we are still collecting that, and we'll give that to Victor as a big thank you um, when we're done with all those collections. All right, with that said, our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, But there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it so the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. They called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord with us or not? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. Wouldn't it be great if there was an actual complaint department somewhere? If I were in charge, there would be. It would be somewhere like the back corner of every single Target or at the front of every grocery store right next to the Starbucks booth. There would probably be a person sitting behind a desk. There would be no line in front of them. And over his or her head would be a sign that reads, tell me your problems and I will solve them. They would always be deeply concerned with my trouble and I could tell them everything. I would tell them about how I called the phone number I'd been given to get an appointment with the doctor or to ask a question about my credit card statement, how the call was answered by an automated voice system, how I pushed 17 different numbers, each followed by the pound sign, how I was lost in a telephone wasteland and had to spend 30 minutes on hold listening to Barry Manilow sing Copacabana. He would be sorry that I had to do that. He would let me know that whatever my problem is, he will not rest until the world has been set right and I am whole. The Bible seems to know quite a lot about problems and complaints. The Bible understands that life is full of setbacks and that people become anxious 
and frustrated. In the Bible, people often complain, sometimes for legitimate reasons, and sometimes not. They murmur, they whine, sometimes they cry. Between the exodus from Egypt and the arrival in the promised land, the Hebrew people wandered for a long time. And the consistent theme of that journey was lament and complaint. First, it was complaining about being stuck in a life of slavery. Then, wandering in the desert. Then, they were hungry. Then, they were tired of eating the same food every day. Then, they were thirsty. You get the point. That's where the Israelites find themselves in the 17th chapter of Exodus. They've come to Rephidim on the Sinai Peninsula. They are thirsty, and they're knocking on the door of Moses' tent to register their complaints. Have you brought us out of Egypt so we would all die of thirst in this place? They're angry with Moses for leading them into the God-forsaken wilderness, and they're angry with God for orchestrating this whole mess. They're hot, and they're mad, and they're thirsty, and if you've ever been around a four-year-old, you know what a deadly combination that can be. Moses, I would guess, must have been pulling his hair out. Just one chapter prior to our reading this morning, one little chapter earlier, the Israelites were hungry, and God provided manna and quail, food for morning and evening, more than enough. But apparently, the Israelites have since developed selective amnesia. They forgot that part. And all they can think about now is that they want something they don't have, and there's no way for them to get it. So Moses goes to God and says, God, are you hearing this? These people are angry. They're ready to stone me. God tells Moses, take the staff, the walking stick, that the one you've been carrying with you since Egypt, the staff with which you struck the Nile and turned it into a river of blood. Take that staff and go up to the place called Horeb. Take the staff and strike the rock and you'll see fresh, clear, life-giving water come out of the rock. So Moses does what God says. He takes the elders of Israel, goes up to Horeb, strikes the rock, and just as God said, outflows fresh, clear water so that those two million Israelites and their livestock can drink. God has acted on Israel's behalf once again. But Moses, instead of naming the place after the miracle that's just occurred, names the place Masa and Moribah, test and quarrel in Hebrew, because the people tested and quarreled with God there. And they asked the question, is God with us or not? Is God with us or not? It's a profound question for you and for me as we wander about in our own wilderness journeys in our own lives. Is God with us or not? That's the real question, isn't it? The company's restructuring. We've been let go. The doctor calls and the test results are not what we had hoped. The applications rejected. The dreams shattered. Is God with us or not? It's a question for Moses and it's a question for us. 
It's a question I expect lots of people have been asking one way or another these last few weeks and months. The news out of Washington and New York and Morocco and Libya and Ukraine and North Korea, and I'm sure it has us all asking what in the world is going on. This is a scary time for our nation and for the world. Anxiety and anger on Capitol Hill is etched in the face of every senator and representative. We're feeling it abroad and we're feeling it right here at home with nothing but constant barrages of storms, both literal and figurative. We have to wonder, is the world going to make it? Is God with us or not? It's a question I know has been asked in the pews and halls of this building at points throughout our long history. It's a question that I'm sure will be asked again in the future, with stewardship and the budgeting process starting in earnest in the next few weeks and months. It's evident that we're on the cusp of something new, an exciting new vision, a new way forward, a new day. But we may discover while we're there that there's during this new and excitement, it's also going to be new and scary and uncomfortable. It's going to be change, and change is hard and scary and uncomfortable. Well, we will at some point wonder if where God is calling us is a place that we really want to go. Is this all really a good idea? Is God with us or not? In college, I remember reading an article about the days and months in the early 1990s, just after the Berlin Wall came down. There was a lot of this same kind of discomfort and unease in Eastern Europe. It seemed every time people turned around, they were faced with something else that was new and different. At one point, residents of both, both East and West Berlin were seen wearing t-shirts that said, I want my wall back. Nobody questioned whether the fall of the wall was a good thing, but no one was prepared for the massive changes that came with it. I want my wall back. Sound familiar? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock? We want to go back. Is God with us or not? It's, an interesting, it's interesting and a little ironic to see how closely the plot of this Exodus story mirrors the television commercials we see every day. A problem is presented and a need is voiced, and in this case, it's thirst. There's a powerful intervention here through Moses and a happy resolution. In this case, water. Problem, need, action, resolution. Think about it. Problem. Young new homeowners are slowly turning into their parents. Dr. Rick, tasked with helping the group of young adults avoid what seems unavoidable, states the need. Social media can be overwhelming for young homeowners turning into their parents. In a small group seminar, Dr. Rick leads the new homeowners through a series of common social media do's and don'ts. The action. He asked the group, do you really think we need to post 47 photos of fun dinner at Pam's? With everyone, while everyone else answers no, young, one young woman enthusiastically shouts yes. 
Dr. Rick corrects her, and the crisis is averted. Resolution. Being the accomplished TV watchers that we are, we become conditioned to reading Scripture in the same light. There's a problem, the need is voiced, and God cooks up a a solution. End of story. But what if we hear that story too many times? We begin to substitute God for a product. We begin to equate God's ways with the plot of a TV commercial. The problem may be loneliness or stress or excessive perspiration or poor manners on social media. When the product is used, we assume life will suddenly transform to companionship and calmness and popularity and excellent online skills. We come to expect that God's presence with us means a life of peace and prosperity and well-being. If things are going well for us, then that must mean that God is with us. God's watching over us and all's right with the world. It's a subtle deception. Because if we equate God's presence in our lives with our well-being, what do we say to people in the midst of a crisis? What do we do when the hurricane floods yet another city? What do we do or what do we say if the war escalates? What do you say when the child never calls or the job disappears or the cancer returns? Is God with us or not? There are people out there, well-meaning Christian people, who will tell you that what God wants for us is to be happy and to be successful and to be victorious. That God wants us to be winners and that God's presence in our lives is evidenced by our triumph over difficulties. But what happens if it doesn't happen? What becomes of our faith? What do we have left? Is God with us or not? The Israelites had a legitimate need and a legitimate complaint addressed to Moses and to God. We are thirsty. But when God becomes only the one who meets needs, who fixes problems, when God becomes only a utilitarian means to our personal ends, then we've ceased to follow the one true God. We've turned God into a caricature, the divine butler, the genie in a bottle, the administrator at the complaint department. They're only to provide for our every wish, to meet our every need, and to make us happy. The amazing part of this Exodus story, the miraculous thing, is not that God provides water out of a rock. That's a creation theme. God's been doing that since the beginning of time, literally way back in Genesis. What's really amazing, the real miracle, is tucked in there into God's instructions to Moses. Take the elders and go to the rock of Horeb, and I will be there in front of you. It's a promise made to God's people since the beginning of time. I will be with you. It's the promise that was made in the stable in Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God is with us. God with us here and now. And that's what we're saying here this morning. 
It's what we proclaim when we come to this table today and every time we come for the meal. God is with us at this table. God is in the bread. God is in the cup. Not in power and might, not to fix and control, but to be with us. To be present with us, to sustain us in our hunger and our thirst and our need. To be one of us. It's a promise made all the way to the end of time. I will dwell with them and they will be my people. God is with us. God is with us in the midst of war, in the midst of disaster, in the midst of financial anxiety, in the midst of loss, in the midst of uncertainty. God is with us. So is God with us or not? Yes. Always. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen.